to Wild See the Podcast. This is Danny Smith. And today we have my very good friend, Charles Connor, also known as the original Spur here. Charles, do you want to introduce yourself? All right. She's very reserved and calm and smooth. This is just me. So, <laughs> so as she stated, my name is Charles Connor. That's with an ER. As I tell people, I'm the other kind of Irish. I am from Mississippi originally. I've been in the Pacific Northwest for about 13 years now ex-military vet, uh, I'm an artist, and I'm a father, and I am just trying to do the best that I can to remain peaceful and happy. How did you get the name, the original Spur? That came from my great-grandmother. Apparently, I was hard-headed, and so whenever she used to, you know, watch us during the summers and everything, my pops would be at work, you know, she's the grandmother that would have all the kids, so you'd be watching stories and everything else, and I wouldn't listen, and she'd just be like, oh, Spurhead. And it kind of just went from there. So she would always call me Spurhead. And then anytime a baby is born, you know, they always get a little nickname or something. Right. So everybody would just be, oh, look at the little Spur. But my sister would always say, but that's the original Spur, because she know it came from my great-grandmother as well. Right. Right. And so it just one of those things that kind of stuck. Anytime she would see me, she was like, what's going on, Spur? And I just kind of adopted that when I was actually starting a business in art, trying to figure out, man, what's something that's cool? And then eventually it was like, it don't need to be cool. It just needs to be me. And then that just kind of popped up because it's like that actually has history to it. That has some lineage to it that actually still sticks to this day because my sister... She rarely called me by my name. <laughs> she gonna always say, what's going on, Spur? What you up to? So people that know you and have known you for a while, they refer to you as Spur. <laughs> yeah, especially my sister. They either call me that or they you just mispronounce my name. Just Charles. C-H-O-Z. <laughs> Big Charles. So yeah, thanks for bringing that up because I do like to start at the beginning and kind of like get people's origin story. Mm-hmm. So you've always been the original spur even if you weren't that in like your artistic way right correct okay but as a kid were you artistic were you drawing what was that like yeah i started drawing when i was four that's and it's crazy i can remember that uh first thing i drew was a ninja turtle i had one of those ninja turtle watches that flip open i think it was donatello (laughs) flip open to tell you the time but my brother showed me how to draw ninja turtles and then I drew the watch. And then everybody in my family would show me how to do something different. They would show me, like, one would show me how to draw women. One would probably show me how to draw cars or faces. I like, It'd be something different. So it was, I've been drawing since I was little, little. And I was just the only one that really stuck with it like that. So your whole family is artistic? They really are, if they have the patience for it. Okay. I'm just the only one that still has the patience to do it. Speaking of the Ninja Turtles, have you seen the new Ninja Turtle film? Oh, yeah. I just went to see it again. <laughs> Was it good? I haven't seen it Oh, yet. man. It's on point. It's good. You won't see Barbie, but you'll see Ninja Turtles. I'm just joking. I, I seen that, too. <laughs> I yeah, I saw that too. I thought okay. it, I thought it was funny, but it was one of those one and dones. I'm like, it was funny, okay. but yeah. Well, dialogue about the, the movie. <laughs> okay, later. okay. So, other than art, did you have any other like outlets that you use? 
that was I mean, we played, you know, we played sports. I never played on anyone's team. We just played in the neighborhood. Um, so sports was always there. I remember we played football on rollerblades <laughs> in the projects. Yeah. <laughs> like the project was a big circle. It was one way in, one way out. But we would play football and we'd be skating at the same time. So you play put football in the street, basketball on makeshift, you know, rims, milk crates. You know, we, we just was out, you know, doing things like that. So if I wasn't inside drawing, I was usually with my friends playing sports or just being active outside. Well, switching gears a little bit. I know you're mm-hmm. a veteran. Thank you for your service. So Thank you me. served in the Army. Mm-hmm. And where did you go to basic training? Uh, Fort Seal, Oklahoma very hot that was the first time i i heard anything called heat categories that's your first time away from home like that yeah like that going across you know by myself like you know going from one state to another to be with family that i was used to that but now i'm off on my own i'm like 17 years old in oklahoma luckily i i got in the military the same time some of my classmates did so i had friends there friends that you grew up with well the ones in high school because okay. the ones I grew up with, they from Alabama, and the ones I was in high school with, some of us ended up in boot camp together. The downside is once you get to boot camp, you kind of splinter off. What was your MOS? It was 45 Bravo, which was an armorer. You work on weapons, you fix weapons, you could be in a cage or, you know, you just out in the field, something happens and somebody needs something, you go. And I mean, that's from pistols, it can be all the way up to tanks. Mm-hmm. Something happened, and you'd end up working on it, even though I ended up working on vehicles as well. Hummers, strikers, tanks, you help fix those things, too. So Kind of like a mechanic? Or yeah. A- it's all, yeah, you're, the unit was a mechanics unit, so okay. it had every kind of mechanic. I was just the kind that worked on weapons. Okay. So what did you learn most about yourself serving in the military? I always looked at it like, man... I couldn't, after a while, you couldn't stand the organization, but you enjoyed the people. And then you realize that's kind of like with anything now, even out in, quote unquote, the civilian world. But then I also learned that, man, you evolve. And sometimes that's difficult because I had a hard time trying to, I had three me's. The first version of me is the one that, who I was after the military, after being in the military for some time, going to Iraq, I tried hard to get that pre-me back. And it was, I couldn't. And that probably, that sent me into like a downward spiral because I tried so hard to be that person because that is the person that I wanted to be. Yeah. And that I thought was the better me. Mm-hmm. And so I was in a hard conflict with myself. I didn't like who I was and where I was in my life. Just mentally and personally because i couldn't be that person again why was that person better well because that person was was an artist for one uh and the military like took that away for a long time and the thing that i had already done had been doing all the way up until that point in my life and all i knew you know i couldn't really do it anymore so now i gotta try to become somebody else and i resented that yeah I resented having to be something I didn't want to be. And then you question yourself like, damn, was I ever meant to be an artist then? You know, was that really me or do I just got to be and do what I got to do now? It's like, damn, I got to do what I got to do, not what I want to do. So there was a, a huge conflict within myself, you know, that I battled for a long time. Right. And And who's the third version? The third version was, um, 
coming to terms that I could not be, you know, early or pre-military and early military me, that I did become this person out of necessity because of where I was and what I got placed into. I became that person out of necessity. But then I worked my way out of that person because it was no longer necessary to be that callous, to be that cold, to be that, you know, sheltered and closed in. Mm -hmm. And then I had to become, you know, a better version. And I kind of combined the two. It took me a while to get back to the point of being an artist. It was like a John Wick moment, as I tell people. It was like, you know, after you start getting it back, and you just like, yeah, I think I'm back. Because now I have the artist that was pre-war, but I still have some of those same characteristics of that wartime me and that, you know, post-war me because I still am, you know, protective of myself. I still am being aware of, you know, my pop still says, be aware of your surroundings. Yeah. So I still live by that. It's like, I tell people that all the way, all right, be good, be aware of your surroundings. So I still have a level of caution just being in this world that we have now. And I don't shun when people say they have trust issues. It's like, yeah, I have trust issues too. Why should I freely give you that? I don't know you like that yet. I have to, that's something that has to be earned. Right. So it's like, yeah, I will give you the benefit of the doubt. But I still don't know yet. So it's like I have a combination of both. And now that puts me in a happy medium where I can maintain my, a level of peace and, and still a level of seriousness as well. It's like I just don't say yes to anything. It's like, right. yeah, no, I need to know more <laughs> first. When everyone says like, you know, change starts with, with yourself, change mm -hmm. starts with within. Like, what do you tell yourself to be the person that you are now, like to heal from whatever trauma, tragedies have happened. Internally, we all have an inner dialogue going on, right? Oh, yeah. And so, like, we have to change that inner dialogue to be healthy and happy. What do you tell yourself to be mm -hmm. who you are now? No, I, I, it's very, it sounds callous, but I think as a man, uh, especially a black man, you have to understand that nobody's coming to save you. You live in a world that's real. And what you're dealing with no one else cares but you because it's your life. And you know no one else cares because how many times do you show up to a place being on someone else's time? And you can be like, ah, I've had a really difficult time. I'm going through a lot. And they'll still be like, oh, okay. So about that, a report. Because all they're concerned with is their bottom line. It's yeah. like the, your personal issues don't matter to the bottom line of what they see is, is the greater good for them. Is me living in this reality that, okay, this is what's really going on with you. You're having a difficult time for, in, in this, so you can't rely on going through someone else all the time and trying to, uh, and hopefully that they care as much as you do. It's like, no, you're going to be the person that cares the most. So you're going to have to take care of it yourself. And then... I just start doing things and trying to self-assess. Why do I think I'm feeling this way? Why am I feeling this way? Um, imposter syndrome is a real thing. And a lot of times it comes from thinking that what you're doing, either one, you're not doing enough right. to be successful. Two, um, you're subconsciously looking at what someone else is doing and thinking like, man, why does it seem like they got it so good or they having so, so much fun? And it's like, 
you have to really pull back and understand, like, look, you're doing the work. Your time isn't now. It's just their time. You're still on your path. They may have finally reached the end of their path, and they've probably been working on it for six, seven months to a year. Who knows how long? They've probably been working on it for 20 years, and they just now get into that crescendo, and it's like, finally, I can breathe, and you hadn't got there yet. Right. So you really have to sit down and just evaluate your own circumstance and just be like, okay, I can't be so hard on myself because I feel like I'm failing at something. But the thing is, you're beating yourself up on something you haven't even completed yet. I even, I do that when it comes to art. I call it the ugly phase. (laughs) This is the ugly stage of the painting. Right. Because I have this dope idea. I have this idea that I want to get out. Boom, I got the initial sketch and I start laying paint and now I can't stand it. I'm like, what is this? It doesn't look (laughs) like, it doesn't look like this finished image that I have in mind. It's like, that's because you ain't finished. This is the ugly stage. So, a lot of times you're in your head. That's the ugly stage of your progress. And so you have to understand, I have to go through this ugly part because the self-doubt is going to come. The thing is, is not sitting in that self-doubt and wallowing in it. And because if you do that, you're going to fall into that pit and just be like, man, this just ain't going to work out. It's like, no, it's not going to be easy. Right. But that's why you keep going. And you keep waking up the next day and put you actually have a choice. You have a choice to push through it. You have a choice to say, I'm going to make it. I'm going to keep going until I see this through. This is the ugly part of my life right now. Right. And I just have to keep working at it until it's actually finished, until what I'm, I've accomplished what I'm actually setting out to do. And you've actually really encouraged me and helped me in different ways through our friendship in the last two years that we've known each other. Mm-hmm. Whenever I talk to you and be like, hey, you're going to figure it out. Yeah. So I, I get it because I feel the same way about you know myself. And your art is what allowed us to meet. What inspires your artwork? It is trying to... The, I try to bring a, a diversity... Black people. I'll mix anime with hood classics, movies or albums. So you mix something like Jujutsu Kaisen, which is a dope anime, and then you mix it with New Jack City. And it's like you bring those two worlds together because people love anime. Black people love anime. Trust me, they do. So you mix that with New Jack City, or you take this and you mix it in Dragon Ball with um, Juice, Mm -hmm. something like that, you know. What if Biggie Smalls was an anime character? Well, what do we look like? You know, yeah. something like that. Um, so you you have some some culture uh, from another country to draw upon, but you still want to make it relatable to your own people. Right. Um, and then when it comes to a lot of my other paintings, I, I honestly, and I think some people catch on to it, like, like I see a, a great oversaturation of, of artists just like, hmm, let me just paint women. Because people love women, so I'll just sell women. It's like, but are you doing that because that's what you really feel? Or are you doing yeah. that because you think that's what they're going to sell? And I just got to a point where it's like, I'll do women. But then I was like, man, I don't see, uh, I haven't painted a lot of men yeah. figures. And I'm like, well, I'm a male. I have to represent for some black men and, and black male figures. So... Let me do that because I'm like, I found myself doing that same trend. Like I was just doing nothing but women because everybody was like, oh, I love it. It's so beautiful. I'm like, I did it because I knew somebody would probably buy it as opposed to doing it because I wanted to do it. 
Mm-hmm. And I had to kind of divert from doing that because right. me doing art is because I love doing it, not because I thought it would sell. You know, at some point, of course, you want to do things and you want to produce things. At some point, the money will come. And so you find this happy medium like whatever I produce is going to be so dope. Someone's going to want to buy it because it means something to them. Not because I'm like, I know to sell. It's like, I just know this is going to have a lot of layers to it. It's going to have a lot to say. And somebody's going to see and just be like, I got to have that. As opposed to saying, oh, I'm going to do a painting of Rihanna because I know it'll sell. It's like, why would I paint Rihanna when I don't care like that? Yeah, yeah. It's like, but I'll paint someone like Basquiat because I care like that. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'll paint somebody like Nina Simone because I care like that. Right. But I'm not going to paint Beyonce. I don't care like that. <laughs> I'm not a part yeah. of it. It's like she's Beyonce, but it don't mean nothing like that to me. Yeah. So yeah. I don't want to do it just because I think it might sell. There may come a time when it does matter to me like that. Like, yo, I need to do this. Yeah. Honestly, when I paint women, I usually do them in, in like an otherworldly as opposed to, oh, I'm going to just do Rihanna or Beyonce or I'm going to do you know, Doja Cat or something like, you know, it's like, no, if I'm going to do it, it has to say something as opposed to, oh, it's just pop star this. Yeah. You know, so that's really how I look at things now. I look at things and I want it to have layers. Everything that I paint has a story to it. You know, it always has to mean something. It's not enough for it to be dope. It has to say something to me. And if it says something to me, I know to say something to the next person. Whether or not the message they get is the same, I don't care about that. Everybody has their own interpretation, but it has to speak to me in some fashion. Why do you think so many black people are invested in, like, anime? I actually got turned on to anime through the boondocks. Uh-huh. When it was actually in the newspaper. Yeah. Because I used to read the Sunday newspaper. I think because it actually has substance. I've been watching anime back when it was called japanimation so that's like 80s 90s like especially for me more in the 90s early 90s it was called japanimation but it always had substance for one they did not hold back on the violence and gratuity like if someone got cut and they got cut like it was brutal yeah so americans automatically do action figures for boys you know it was always dolls for girls action figures so it's like now you're watching it's not a cartoon. You're like, hold on, this is like a rated R movie, but it's in a cartoon form. Like, yeah. yo. Yeah. And then you started seeing them mix in like the sci-fi stuff. Like they have these otherworldly beings with powers. So they were superheroes, but they didn't look like the traditional superhero. No tights and capes. Yeah. They looked like humans. Some of them looked like warriors. And then you start realizing like, yo, they have a lot of culture in their work. They have a lot of storytelling. You're mixing like Japanese culture, mm-hmm. black culture, mm-hmm. music, history. You know, mm-hmm. like, what is that story saying? Um, usually, I always am trying to find, I always look to see if I can find an anime that would fit, especially, like, the amount of characters, because you always have your main characters, and then you try to fit, like, okay, which personality is going to fit this main one? Like, when I did Dragon Ball Z mixed with Juice, they have the right amount of characters. The, the cover art for Juice is Bishop, Q, Steel, and Raheem. And it's just four of them. And I'm like, okay, out of all these four, who is going to be Bishop? It's Vegeta. He, he might shoot you and he might help you. I mean, 
you don't know which way he's going to go. It's like I'm trying to figure out which personality fits and I'm trying to figure out which uh, the number to be right as well. It's like, okay, they have a big four. Piccolo, Krillin, Vegeta, Goku. That's like the main big four in Dragon Ball. Right. Always have been since the beginning. That's like the main big four. And then everybody else have offshoots of that. And and so I'm always looking at that like, okay, I need to have the right amount of characters that people will recognize. Like I did Boys in the Hood mixed with One Piece. That cover yeah. only has three of them. Well, okay, I need three characters that people will recognize the most. Zoro, Monkey D. Luffy... I'm like, okay, they got three main characters in one piece that you'll recognize that actually are called the monster trio. It's like, it fits. And, and of course, your main characters, you always want to have highlighted in somewhat. But I'm always trying to figure out what fits. Like, I want to do one with Set It Off. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. initially, you're like, okay, if I do one with Set It Off, the first thing I start thinking about was Sailor Moon. But I'm like, but Sailor Moon has more than four main characters. So it's like, that's the thing. It's like, it would work. But then I'm like, I might have to look at it another way. I'm yeah. an equal footing. Anime will give that to you in some capacity. Mm -hmm. Because everybody has some level of respect. All the guy characters are not the best ones. Some of the, the a lot of the female characters are the best ones. You're going to find annoying men and women. You're going to find weak men and women to where you're like, what is your role in this? Get <laughs> so it's like, I can always find something in there. You know, like I said, if, man, if Biggie Smalls was an anime character, who would he be? And I'm like, Majin Buu from Dragon Ball. He's, he's big and fat, but he's dangerous. Yeah. And people respect him. It's like, that fits. Then I called him Majin Biggie. I'm like, that, that makes sense. I mean, because it's like, yeah, you would find a tough big man, especially like the, you know, the way Biggie's tell his stories and his music. I'm like, yeah, yeah Majin Buu is like that. He can be happy. He can be, yeah. you know, smiling. And then next thing you know, it's like, he's, you dead. You out of there. Yeah. I mean, That's, I never thought about like all the similarities between specifically just right now, hip hop culture mm -hmm. and Japanese anime or even manga. And they merge because like Boondocks was the perfect example of that. Aaron Magruder used like an anime style for his, his, his comics. And then when you watch the Boondocks, the way the characters look with the big eyes, the yeah. small noses. And then when you get into certain episodes, they will literally do it anime. Like with Bushido Brown. It was just like a yeah. whole anime. Yeah. It was like, yo, man, he, he the dude got the spinning guillotine. And, I mean, mm -hmm. it was crazy. And Afro Samurai came, like, after that. Oh. Okay, I'm not going to get this. <laughs> Afro, I painted Afro Samurai, too. Yes, yes. Like, Afro uh, is, that's another one. Yeah. Afro Samurai is cold. Like, that anime is just bloody, yeah. ruthless. And it's got Sam Jackson in it. Exactly. Which is crazy. It's Ninja Ninja. It's yeah. like Yeah. Yeah. It's like a black anime. It's it's crazy because it's like it seemed like it's set in like feudal Japan with mm -hmm. samurais and ninjas. And then next thing you know, somebody pulls out a machine gun. You're like, what the <laughs> hell? Well, the purpose of the podcast is to talk about like obstacles that we've overcome. What would you say was your biggest obstacle? I think the main struggle was trying to get back me, which means is an artist yeah that was like the main difficulty like like literally i was away from art f for over a decade and i say 
I would do little things here and there. I would draw some things here and there. But when I came back from Iraq, I tried to go back to school for my art degree. And my the person I was, it was not the same person that I was when after that, you know, I did like a year in college, got called up, had to drop out, got to go train and get ready for war. So when I came back, I was out of school for like two and a half years. Mm-hmm. So I tried to come back and do it. And I did it. I was doing it. It's kind of like I fell back into it, but that it was a struggle. And then the personalities of the, the instructors, they all seemed off. Like they seemed like they were just trying to hurry you up and get you out of there as opposed to how I remembered it. And then it's like the frustration started to build. I remember being in one of these, I don't know, college algebra classes. And I remember you're sitting there at this computer and it was just all automated. Basically everything people can't stand now with AI. Yeah. It was basically like that. It was like, so that started building up frustration. And then my, my, my art teachers, they just, like I said, they just seemed like they wanted you to hurry up with stuff. It's like, that's not how I work though. I mean, I work how I work, you know, you, you're just like, oh, no, that is good enough. And you're like, but it ain't, though. Like, why would you accept something less? And so it was like this big struggle for me because I could see it up here, but I couldn't really get it down how I wanted to. Like, I could do what they wanted me to do. But then when I wanted to do my own thing, I couldn't get it. I could see it, but I couldn't really get it. So that frustration stuck with me. Every once in a while, I would sit down and sketch something and try to get that feel back because that's who I really was. Mm-hmm. And it was like the most frustrating thing, not being able to do what you wanted to do because the passion, it wasn't there at first. And then when it started to come back, I still couldn't relate what was in my head and make it come down on the paper. Right. So now it's like, oh, I got the passion. I want to do it. But now it's still like something's hindering me from doing it. And that was probably the most difficult times in my life. Like, and that went on for a long time. It's like, man, humans can take a lot of punishment. Because it was like I was being punished for a long-ass time. And how are you feeling now that you're actually doing it? I'm in a much better place, definitely mentally. Now it's like I'm to that point where it's just kind of like I just handle my business and, and do what I'm supposed to do. But then I'm free to just create things. And you still have to, you know, I think probably the most difficult thing about myself now is probably just making sure that I let other people know, like, hey, I'm here. Because that part of me gets annoying. Like, I got to take another post something else and let people know, hey, look at me. Yeah. Over here, I ain't got on no thong or nothing, but I got some dope ass work I'd like you to check out. Yeah, yeah. But I'm happy that I'm able to create because I don't like being on other people's time unless it's something I'm passionate about. Unless I feel like I'm doing something worthwhile. Like, I don't want to just do anything that's monotonous and just meet the status quo. For me, I'm in a much better place, being happy, being peaceful, actually able to create, actually able to wake up and just be like, all right, let's do this. Mm-hmm. Are there any events upcoming that people can go find you, see you, support you? Your Instagram is... The Original Spur? Yes, The Original Spur is my Instagram, Facebook. Um, so you can find me on the Facebook under The Original Spur or my name, Charles Connor, C-O-N-N-E-R, not O-R, <laughs> E-R. Yes. You know, because that'll pull you up to somebody else. Um, What's your website? Uh, it is the originalspur.com, T-H-E, 
O-R-I-G-I-N-A-L-S-P-U-R.com. The original spur.com. So I always will, you know, put new work on there. Okay. Whether it's, you know, you know, uh, canvas prints, original uh, paintings, you know, hats, you know, stuff like that. I'll put that on the, on the websites as well. Um, and like I said, you know, I hadn't, I, honestly, I hadn't even looked into what I'm going to be as far as any events in September because I have a project I'm working on, hush hush type project that mm-hmm. I'm working on in September, uh, primarily. Well, thank you for being here. I appreciate you sharing yourself, sharing your time, and sharing this space with me. So I appreciate it. Of course. D-I-Y.